0: I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. Podcast.
1: Podcast.
0: Podcast. Podcast. Whoa! It's a show.
1: It's a show. Audio only, though. What, what is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that Kenny Benton podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show.
2: Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast.
0: Whoa! Whoa. Hey! <laughs> Interviews with friends and people, people who Show. Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.
3: hey guys welcome to batman the animated podcast i'm justin michael and you are listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon batman the animated series today's sponsor mary doll's adult dollpers just because you didn't mean to doesn't mean you didn't make a mess Guys, today's episode is huge. We have one of the best Batman writers of all time, Paul Dini, talking about Baby Doll, One of the most obscure and wonderful and weird Batman episodes. I'm sure some of you are like, why aren't you talking about the Laughing Fish or Heart of Ice or Harley Quinn, who he created? If you don't know all of those things and you're still listening to this podcast, I don't know how you made it here, but I'm glad you joined us. The reason being, you can listen to those on other podcasts. They're great. Uh, I wanted to talk about something new. But today, we're talking Baby Doll, and he's going to say stuff like this.
1: It wasn't like I, I differentiated that much between superheroes and funny books. Uh, I could read a Batman or Superman or Spider-Man, you know, put it down, then pick up hot stuff or Josie and the Pussycats or Uncle Scrooge or something like that. It was all comics, and it was all good. So I think that sort of filtered into my thought process I I liked good stories, and if the character was a bit extreme or exaggerated or unbelievable, so much the better.
3: But first I'm gonna talk about baby doll with one of my good buddies. He's a UCB guy, he is a writer for The Onion, he's a hilarious human being. His name is Mark Rennie, and he's gonna say stuff like this. Yeah, people in Gotham say, How do I want to escape? Let's go see Death of a Salesman. So with all that out of the way, let's get into baby doll. Okay,
2: that's enough. Will you please stop shouting directly into my face?
3: You know, you'd think I'd be used to this by now, but I'm not. Who's talking and how did you get into my closet?
2: Look straight ahead, you loud yob. Hey, I
3: don't see anybody
2: oh you don't see anybody what am i invisible it's me your brassy magical talking microphone
3: yeah i definitely don't have a magical talking microphone
2: oh uh, you definitely do because uh, i'm justin michael and i'm arguing with a microphone right now okay <laughs> that's
3: that's enough uh, look you made your point magical talking microphone the
2: name's microfina and i don't like the cut of your wiener
3: what the hell's that supposed to mean what is that a british idiom a bridium?
2: British. No, it's microphone for you're acting like a big fat dick.
3: Hey, it's not my fault you have a British accent.
2: Whoa, buddy! I'm not British, you idiot. This is how all microphones have talked for thousands of years. Thousands of years?
3: Why didn't you start talking until now?
2: I don't know. Us microphones are a quiet people. We usually let other people do the talking unless it's really, really important.
3: Okay, well, what's so important, Microfina?
2: Oh, yippee! You finally asked about me. Listen, Justin, I am in dire need of your help, and it will require you to woman up and embark on (laughs) a.
1: PODQUEST
3: CAST! Mm, yeah, I don't think I have time for this.
2: Aw, oh, come on. Didn't you hear the booming narrator voice?
3: Uh, yeah, I heard him. Nobody wants to hear this. They want to get to Paul Dini.
2: Oh, you're a real wanker, you know that.
3: Oh, and is that uh microphone for something else?
2: It means you're a f***ing wanker who's got his big, fat, stupid head right up his hole, so he can sniff his own b**! and turn around and walk right off into his own mouth and then, you know what? Somebody should take your head off and shit down your neck, Justin Michael, because you, my friend, are a pig and you stink of shit and I hate you with all my heart and us microphones are going to band together and you'll never get another voiceover job in this town again!
3: Great, now my microphone thinks somebody should take my head off and shit down my neck. You know what? On that note, let's move on to today's episode, Baby Doll. <laughs> Baby Doll, a former child star, pours out her frustrations on her TV family by kidnapping them and holding them hostage. While Robin works undercover to free them from Baby Doll's explosive death trap on an abandoned soundstage, Batman pursues the tiny fiend through a deadly carnival funhouse. Original air date, October 1st, 1994. Story by Paul Dini. Directed by Dan Reba. Supervising composer Shirley Walker with music composed by Carl Johnson. Animation services by Spectrum Animation Studio. Featuring guest voice Allison LaPlaca as Baby Doll, Marie Devin as Summer Gleason, maybe that's a Mary, and Jason Marston as Spunky Spencer. Also a host of many other people, but you can look it up. I think Baby Doll is one of the most underrated and strange episodes of the series, and I love it. I mean, she's one of the awesome villains Paul Dini created for BTAS alongside the likes of Harley and Roxy Rocket, but unlike the others, I think Baby Doll never made the jump from cartoons to comics. And it's strange because she's great. She's got all the makings of a great, weird bat villain. This episode is an oddball love letter to campy sitcoms and the culture that surrounds them. At first glance, you know, it might seem lighter because of the cartoony gags and baby doll's design, but beneath all of that is an undercurrent of melancholy and the sad reality of being a washed-up actor. That's where the Batman sadness comes in. Like the best of Bat-rogues, Deanie breathes joyously silly and deeply melancholic life into her, and it's what makes it stand out. But the episode is so successful because it's supported by excellent direction with some really fun theatrically boarded sequences. I mean, one of my favorites is Baby Doll's dramatic monologue to her kidnapped co star's mid episode. We're kind of caught off guard by some expressionistic spotlights that make us question this Batman reality, but it works because there's just enough reality to explain it away. I mean, they're on a soundstage, and above all, Baby Doll is a theatrical and melodramatic villain. The stylistic visual choices feel like they naturally support her character and her motives. It's really refreshing to watch, like an Arnold Palmer. Yep, there we go. Baby Doll is the Arnold Palmer of Batman the Animated Series. Put that on a bumper sticker and ruin your car. Baby Doll's theme also feels wonderfully anachronistic amidst all the usual Batman music. I dare you to get it out of your head. You heard me. I dare you. And you know what happens if you don't take on my dare? Absolutely nothing, because I probably don't know you and you don't know me, so there's no way we can follow up on this. Uh, you know, there's plenty more Baby Doll to talk about, so I'll save it. It's time to go to interview number one with. Today's fan,
1: Mark Rennie.
3: Mark Rennie is one of the funniest writers I know, and we both have a love and compulsion for the DC animated universe, Muppets, and horror. So it was great to get him on the show to talk, well, not all three, but two out of the three. He's a writer for the UCB mod team Nephew. He puts up a monthly variety show called Those Magnificent Moms that is absolutely worth your time in Los Angeles. He's also written for The Onion, Funnier Dies, Gay of Thrones series, as well as some Minnie Mouse shorts for Disney. So, talk about a prolific guy. Enough about Mark, more from Mark. Okay, well, let's do it. Great. Now the microphone is on and we're talking. That
0: makes it. That helps.
3: Yeah, I'm sitting with Mark Rennie. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, you're welcome for having you. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about Baby Doll. Mm. So you chose this episode. Yes. Uh, actually, a lot of people after you sent it in were like wanting to talk about Baby Doll. I was like, sorry, it's already taken. It's so, a good one. Yeah. What do you love about Baby Doll?
0: I love. Well, I love the tragic ending it's the only villain that ba- batman can't defeat her the only thing that defeats her is her self-identity crisis yeah and then one else is like batman like comforted the villain in the very end
3: yes it has that really sweet and sad moment where yeah. like she's like a little girl hugging his leg like and a like parent
0: he, but she says it in like her normal voice yeah like she's finally like realized
3: I mean like attention all villains with daddy issues, Batman's here. <laughs> right? That <laughs> he kind of does play that role though, right? The father, the dominating father. Yeah, I mean even like they sort of have him date Batgirl and there's like a weirdness there. Ooh. It's kind of an off-screen datey thing, but I think in Batman Beyond it's sort of inferred that he dates Batgirl and probably that's Dick Grayson's not that too seems happy like about
0: incestuous. it.
3: It seems fucked up. He should
0: date outside the Bat family.
3: Yeah, yeah. well I mean we got Talia Talia Al Ghul? Talia Al
0: Not Talia Johnson in accounting.
3: Uh, no, Talia Johnson okay. in accounting, he had a brief stint with. Uh, way in Accounting. That's
0: fine, yeah. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I like it. This one just feels like so... It's like gothic, and like it feels like whatever happened to Baby Jane, and it just feels
3: like... It's just like the psychology of it is so sad to me. I think that's what, like, good Paul Dini episodes, all of the Paul Dini episodes, I guess good episodes yeah. have, like an intense psychology to the characters yeah
0: and just like her like final moment of like seeing the reflection of herself of like who how she feels inside but she can't accept the shell she's trapped in Ooh, and that's also her power like in a way like that's her skill is like being the baby presenting herself as a child is how she deceives people and traps them yeah but then that is also her
3: curse well and it's like it's a great batman villain and, like, such a tragic Hollywood story. Yeah, <laughs> I thought about Gary Coleman a lot. Yeah, I think that was sort of what it was based on, like, Gary Coleman mm-hmm. and Webster, Emmanuel Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. All these tragic,
0: because tra- you start, like, that's what makes you a cool as a kid and popular, but then it becomes, uh,
3: traps you. Well, why and don't, you don't can't we... can't accept that. No, not at all. I was about to interrupt you for no good reason. There's never a good reason to interrupt me. You're right. <laughs> Uh, well, I, actually, we dove so quickly into Baby Doll, and I mm-hmm. forgot to just ask you: Yes. Why do you love Batman the animated series?
0: Oh, boy. Um, I remember when it first came on, I think it was after Batman Returns. I was, like, in high school at that point. I'm very mm-hmm. old. Yeah, 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 you're 108. I'm 108, so I remember, oh, these are cartoons on TV now? That's. I don't have to go to the Nickel Theater? It was amazing. Um, <laughs> where you watched a Nickel. Where I wa- you just watched a Nickel. Yeah, no we roll theater. Roll them, spin them. Ooh. We shout, heads, heads, heads. But You'd be
3: lucky if they spun it, honestly. Sometimes yeah. it was just a Nickel on a table, and you just hover, hovered over it.
0: Yeah, it was very uh, disappointing entertainment in the <laughs> turn of the century when I was born. Um, but I just remember Batman. It looked like nothing else I'd ever seen on TV before. It looked like the style of it was so like, the minimalist, like designs of the characters, and then the stories were so like mature and cool. It felt like better than all the comics It felt better than the movies. It was just like it's still, I think, probably the best version of Batman I've ever seen.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Did um, you grow up a comic book fan? Like, were you? Super I was Marvel.
0: Nerdy? kid oh whoa whoa. yeah i'm a big marvel (laughs) spider-man was my guy i love spider-man so i love marvel comics i love a lot of DC com but i'm uh more like dc graphic novels but in terms of like television cartoons dc has marvel beat hands down oh absolutely marvel's doing better in the movies don't get me wrong but um
3: uh i'm rambling a little bit yeah, how dare you ramble on a podcast? I know, right? <laughs> Everybody's very on point. We don't talk for too long. They're not bloated. Right.
0: Um, but I just love it. it. was, like, so different when it first came on. And, like, the stories were, like, there's episodes with, like, prostitutes in them. In? In Batman the Anime. Where they're implied. There's these streetwalkers, ladies of the night. Right. I think at shots. one
3: point, like, I think Barbara Gordon interviews some. One of them kind of looks like Black Canary.
0: <laughs> Maybe that. Well, that's an easy mistake to
3: make. Yeah, right. She's wearing fishnets, fishnets and like a and a
0: short little motorcycle jacket. Yeah, and like a jump not a uh, body suit. Yeah, I she's
3: definitely dressed uh, in a hazy zone. Dressed
0: to thrill. Mm. <laughs> she's certainly dressed by the male gaze. I
3: would say <laughs> Yeah, she just got. She walked. <laughs> she walked into somebody's house and they're like, "Great, we got you covered." <laughs> right. Uh, what else? What else? What else? You meant gays, G A Z E, not G A Y S. Uh, it could have been a gay man. I just I thought whatever. you were like the male gays, the male like a, like a bunch of like queer no, guy and straight guys. designed
0: that? No way.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Well, we're, let's talk. Okay, let's let's segue into baby doll again. Okay. I mean, we got your little backstory.
0: Yeah, I'm, I love. I do love Batman. Don't
3: get me wrong. Yeah, and so I think this episode is real weird in a good way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's kind of got a mix of. It's a, definitely a tragic Batman story, but it's also got a Looney Tunes vibe to it because yeah. Baby Doll is like designed like a Warner Brothers. Like it
0: looks very it reminded me of like some some episodes. You can see like the Animaniacs, Tiny Toons. Yes. Like oh, it is the same house that's making all of these. Yeah, and this it definitely one definitely looked like it.
3: She looked like Elmira. Yep, it could have been Elmira. That's exactly what she looked like, especially and and like the way that she like kind of batted her eyes. The sound design was like. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's the dark underbelly of Elmira.
3: Yeah. Well, it's fun to see one of those characters subverted to be this, like, sad, creepy, tragic tragic villain. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, let's see. It starts out with, um, what, people are leaving a theater to see... The Death
0: of the Salesman. Or
3: Diath of a Salesman. I think there's a spelling error
0: there. there. They're seeing Death of The Gotham City local production. Uh
3: Uh-huh. Can't be very good. No. Or maybe it's great. It's a very sad city.
0: Yeah, people in Gotham say, how do I want to escape? Let's go see death of a salesman. Ooh,
3: that is a sad city if that's like <laughs> right. a pick-me-up.
0: Right? Oh, but no one's shot by a mobster or there's no poison gas? Great. Phew. Just the story of a salesman slowly dying and realizing his life is a shambles. That's a pick-me-up. It'll be a few hours of a uh, nice, happy distraction. <laughs> right.
3: Uh, so yeah, and then one of the actors is kidnapped.
0: With a very wispy mustache, he has a very wispy mustache. It's
3: just growing in. It's it's yeah. for sure a perv. Mustache. And I believe they
0: shave it the next time you see him because he's kidnapped by baby doll. Right. Pretending to be a little girl. Right. He gets hit over the head by somebody. We don't ever really see.
3: Yeah, probably one of her henchmen. Henchmen or him? or her henchwoman. Oh, yeah, like super Miriam. like karate
0: chop Miriam. I'm very interested in Miriam. Yeah, right? Because they have a very interesting relationship. I feel it's very codependent. And I was wondering, did Miriam like lose a child? because like she seems to get something out of like being a mother. Yeah, she too, has a baby doll. A matronly quality to her. Yeah, like she pick and like every time like they fool her, uh, Miriam poses as a mother. So uh-huh. I'm wondering like in those moments is like Miriam, she's clearly getting something out of this relationship. Otherwise why would she be in it? Right. But uh, is it those maternal moments cuz she's unable to have a child or she lost a child? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack and it's not really explored. But that's great though because I want. It makes me want to see more and like, how come enough with your Harley Quinn cosplay? I want to see the Miriam cosplay. Yeah, somebody goes
3: basically like kind of a stuffy, yeah. <laughs> stuffy like '80s business woman. But she kicks ass though too. Like oh, that yeah. fight, There's a great fight scene with her and Batman, Batman well, at she, the end.
0: She holds them off pretty well.
3: It's insane. Yeah, she's like she's pretty good with I don't know some sort of karate
0: and that business suit and heels
3: i can't believe she didn't or i think she pulls the heels off right no she could i don't remember i don't remember and we just probably both watched it (laughs) right uh we weren't focusing on whether or not she took off her shoes we weren't focusing on the footwear that's our mistake well whatever we'll do a second watch everybody rewatch it uh tweet at btas podcast and at mark rennie and let us know what you think of the footwear of baby doll right pumps pumps for jumps. Pumps for jumps. Hashtag pumps for jumps. Don't know what that means. You guys figure it out. There not. must
0: be a Tumblr out there devoted to the shoes of Batman the Animated Series. If there isn't. Someone make it. Somebody make it. I don't know how to do screen caps. so some, You I, don't only, know? That's the only thing keeping me from making all the amazing Tumblrs. Oh, because Tumblers. you're
3: 108 years old. I'm
0: 108. I don't have a computer.
3: Yeah, you're really, you look great for 108. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. Mm -mm. Uh, So, Baby Doll kidnaps this first actor. They probably shave off his mustache because it's definitely not a production inconsistency or mistake. And (laughs) no, it's probably because she wants him to look as young as as he he did. did. Yes. Um, so then she, it, it turns out. I think they like go to Commissioner Gordon. Well, I think doesn't
0: it cut to like whatever happened to like an oh. Entertainment Tonight style show? Yeah, we have
3: Summer Gleeson actually doing some fun uh, entertainment. Yeah, you know, she's she's not only a reporter on the scene. Yeah, but she's got some you know pop culture reporting as well. And every show
0: in Gotham City is in black and white apparently mm-hmm. All TV, except for hers because she's in color when is we're watching she? her. Because they do the where are they now and they pull back and reveal her in like an
3: office set. Interesting. But
0: that's in color.
3: Yeah. I'm maybe reading way too deep into this. Well, I think it was supposed to be like a timeless sort of like, this is sort of I the 40s. I love it's always a black and, and, white. and Yeah. Every now and then there are some cuts that are like, this couldn't happen this way. Like Mr. Freeze, there's that video footage of Mr. Freeze's uh-huh. like, how he became Mr. Freeze and like the, the footage of Inside the Lab and it's like perfectly edited like somebody oh, would sure. shoot a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a tangent. Thank God. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. It's a fangent. A fangent. Hello. Hello. Yeah, if you hate puns, sorry. You have two people who love them <laughs> yeah. on this podcast. Uh, that's only one, though, so far. We're doing okay. That's true. I think you did say something with thrill in it. Probably. Yeah. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, good. That was just a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not a pun? No, I don't think oh. so.
0: I'm chilled to be here? That's a mister
3: for So you point. want to go back to that fangent? Yes. Great. And we did it. Great, awesome. <laughs> uh, so it turns out, yeah, Batman Robin is pretty snarky. He's great in it, I think. He's making fun of every piece of every, everything Baby Doll does. on He's like, oh, this show is garbage. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe things before your time. Not everything is like. What's he watching? Modern Family. Probably Jesus.
3: He's he has a window to the future.
0: Yeah. This is like the sexy Robin, though. Is that wrong for me to say? No, like, no. Tell style me. Of Robin, it's is like, he oh, this sexy? Is a, yeah. What's sexy about one. him? He's got a good haircut. He does. I think that is kind of his best quality. His haircut? Yeah. Yeah. I always a fun thing for I like to Google is Nightwing cosplay. I'm not really into Nightwing the character, I just like seeing something about that suit
3: is great. Yeah. The this Batman the animated series or new Batman Adventures iteration. Yes. Well there is like the them. comic book one the is like one.
0: insane. Oh, there's like the it's Native like light American. blue and yellow, yeah. There's that one for a little bit, but then there's the blue with just, like, the the blue, like, wing thing uh-huh. in a black suit. Yeah. That's the preferred one, I think. You and my mom love Nightwing. Is she really into Nightwing? Ooh, she's a big Nightwing head. We need to, like, go on the town and <laughs> look for a Nightwing cosplay. Yeah, I mean... Or maybe we could just stay in and Google it.
3: Yeah, I think that might be Throw better. Throw up on the
0: Apple TV, have a nice
3: glass of wine. Oh, sounds like you do have a computer. Uh, I bought it for my grandson. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so, oh, yeah, I think it's like it's a baby doll is doing Hamlet or something like that. She's Macbeth. doing Shakespeare. Oh, Macbeth. And also, I would,
0: people say that's a flop. I would love to see this woman, what, 30 year old woman who looks like a child playing Lady Macbeth.
3: And I think her performance in that
0: VHS. Is not bad It's great Maybe I would go so far As say it's great Yeah Or uh, Robin's just like pu, you <laughs> Right Like he's some drunk You're an acrobat What do you fucking know About performance
3: Well she's not moving around Enough on a trapeze <laughs> right. I'll
0: tell you that much There's no one Falling onto a net <laughs> uh, I think it's, I want to see her Do more Shakespeare I want to see her Play Medea <laughs> Not Tyler Perry But maybe
3: I would like to see Both versions but, If yeah. I'm being honest
0: Because I thought That is like so Interesting Because like It also reminded me Of like uh, Peter Dinklage Mm-hmm. The same problems, maybe? Is that terrible to say? Well, I except
3: that he's gotten more of a career beyond just a gimmick. That's true.
0: But she tried to move beyond her gimmick. She tried to play an adult role, but and that's what's tragic society about rejected her. her.
3: Well, and that's kind of like, that's the movie biz for you. Or, like, that's kind of the lesson.
0: Like, did Gary Coleman ever try to do a serious role? I think he had a pretty tragic kind of spiral. Well, his parents um, took total advantage of him. And like, yeah. And, like... Once you, like, have that taken away, stability of, like, as a child, there's no one you can trust. You don't trust anybody. You're not going to trust anyone. Everyone's there out to get you. You're going to be very bitter. You need a Miriam. You need a Miriam. Right? Who's probably emotionally
3: stunted in her own way, but they both, like, found the right weirdo to fill the other's void. Exactly. Uh and so she's kidnapping all these people because she wants to recreate the happiest time in, in her life.
0: Some sort of abandoned
3: soundstage? Soundstage?
0: With How long do you think cameras? it took them
3: to build that? Because they
0: like. Fit. It's just the kitchen. Right. But that's still like. She had to hire some set designers. Well, do the henchmen double as like are they union yeah, teamsters? Is I think that... they're
3: teamsters for sure. She dressed called... like Gilligan's Islands character.
0: So Gilligan's those henchmen are like members of Yahtzee.
1: <laughs> what the, is Yahtzee?
0: The I A T S E, it's like the International Artists and Techno Stage something. So not Yahtzee the, the game. game. They maybe also play Yahtzee. I'm not gonna put that, say they don't.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to judge. No prejudge here. No.
0: Why would you judge someone for playing Yahtzee? Well I don't know. It seems kinda like a boring way to spend your um, time. I love to play it at the senior center.
3: Ooh And he's done taking a sip of water.
0: (laughs) My mouth's very dry.
3: I'm made of bone dust.
0: (laughs) That's all. Uh, So she's kidnapping people there. So she wants to, like, ostensibly just live in the past.
3: Yeah. And and to me, something that I didn't realize uh, until I rewatched this, and I feel like I've seen this one more than others, it's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite kind of offshoot episodes. Yeah. Is when she, you know, she, she prepares that like birthday cake yeah. and she's lighting a stick of dynamite, which is like just the right level of cartoony. Uh, she's standing there. She wants to die with all of them. It's going to blow up in her face if, if Batman didn't throw it like out of there.
0: Was that the end game? She wants to die? She's I gonna, can't like, imagine. She's going to die together,
3: right? Well, she never says it, but what's going to happen if Batman didn't take it away? They would all die. Yeah, which is pretty fucking dark. Uh, yes, I would say so. Well, I, I, you know, I always thought about, like, the kidnapping was kind of, like, a weird, it's definitely dark, but I was like, she wants to commit suicide and die and go down with the rest of her TV family. Right. Oblivion.
0: She wants, because she wants to exist in perpetuity of the time she was happiest. Yeah. Which is oof. oof? You gotta she she peaked early. Yeah, that's
3: the problem. She absolutely peaked. That's why you
0: don't want to peak in high school. It's the same thing.
3: If you're listening and you're in high school, don't peak early. Yeah,
0: just play as long con. It's yeah. a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Be
3: uncool as possible. Exactly. The cool It'll,
0: people peak early. Yeah, uh, they stink. <laughs> and also, she can replace everybody, but the well, obviously, the dog was. That's not a stuffed real
3: dog she has, right? No, It's but like a fake dog? It's a fake dog, but... A toy but dog? It kind of looked like it could... I ho- I was hoping it was like it's a like taxidermized dog.
0: Yes. And
3: since it's a cartoon,
0: it works both ways. It worked know? great. They get away with both.
3: And that she kind of like yanked it around pretty yeah, violently. Really meaned,
0: I'm like, what she mean to the dog? And probably she probably kicked it, right? Yeah, I
3: mean, the dog's going to get more awes than right. her. She can't compete with that dog. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Go. Well, I guess then there was, like, was it Cousin... Who was the Cousin that wrote... The Cousin Oliver role. Cousin Oliver role. So, like, there is, like... It was kind of mirroring a real-life, like, Brady Bunch thing. Or, like, the Cosbys
0: when they brought on raven Samo. Yes. When Rudy
3: wasn't cute anymore. <laughs> so, Robbie wrist. Plays the guy who played oh, that's funny. the kidnap actor was Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. That's great. And Cousin Oliver syndrome, I guess, is a term taken from Oliver Tyler, a new character introduced in a later season of the Brady Bunch after the original children had the all reached season. teenage. Yeah. So, but and it was Cousin Spunky in this version. Gross. Uh, but he didn't play Spunky. This guy played one of the other guys. Uh, so that's interesting. That's kind of like a weird TV you know, eating itself moment right. and we're watching this but there's a character who was playing another character from a real life version of it.
0: Well, they cast that intentionally I assume, right? Yeah, they're, I, I well, must be. They're no dummies.
3: They're no dummies. They're no Scarface. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> yes. They're no puppets.
3: Uh, yeah, that, I thought that was so, that was like a, such a fun, weird twist and then it was the old like Batman or Robin's gonna put on an elaborate disguise. Is this
0: the first time we've seen like a garage rocker in Batman the animated series? I think it may first have been the only time.
3: time. Yeah, it was in like, like deep suburbia. Schlub, yeah, it's so weird to see the suburbs in like Batman. And also, ostensibly, that was Robin. Right, jamming out. Jamming out. He what? did. He sounded fine
0: to me. I mean, I wouldn't. he's one to talk about artistic, you know, being really critical about someone's
3: artistic endeavors <laughs> yeah.
0: after hearing those guitar licks.
3: To be honest, I mean, I, I didn't see much trapezing around Robin, so I wasn't <laughs> no. very impressed.
0: So it's a real snooze fest.
3: Yeah, you snooze, you lose, and you lost early. Big time.
0: <laughs> but he was, the, I rewatched and I forgot that it was Robin in disguise. So I was like, oh, this guy's real, when he like bites the stick of dynamite out of the cake and whips it behind him, I'm like, this guy's no slouch, but then it turns out it's Robin.
3: Which kind of they makes sense. I mean. but i guess they've, they've done that a couple times what like batman i think plays a big a big guy a big like in the cape and cowl conspiracy i uh-huh. think the the sorry spoiler alert Uh-oh. the the reveal is that like batman is pretending to be this bigger like a fat guy that basically gets you know he pulls off his mask and he's like it was me batman and i gotcha and i So he's wearing
0: it. his cowl underneath a mask
3: I forget what it. Is. I just remember that he impersonated a guy perfectly and just pulls off a rubber mask. Like uh, Mission Impossible style? It is very Mission Impossibly. Uh, or
0: it's just a perfect mask. Oh,
3: yeah. Which is great, because it's fun to see Batman do that kind of detective work, even if it's crazy. Get him out of his comfort zone. Yeah. Put those improv
0: classes to use. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I would love <laughs> to see Bruce Wayne in an improv class. Yes, and... All right. Uh, you keep making... Everything has to do about the death of your parents. Yes. One of my favorite, this is a tangent, sorry, it's not even a fangent, but uh, the Del Close Marathon, the UCB uh, Improv Marathon in New York that happens every Uh year, it's like a festival. Uh, We did a Batman prov show a couple years ago, and uh, it was like myself, Alex Fernie, Dan Lippert, and Joe Wengert, and we kind of played a trick on Joe. We said we were all going to get costumes, and none of us did, so he was (laughs) the only one that got like a full Batman costume, and the rest of us put on like... Paper plates and then like pulled them off. Uh, so he was the only one dressed as Batman. So we did an improv set. It was like one of my favorite improv sets where everybody. We all played people in a, like, a 201 improv class with the real Batman, oh, and amazing. Wenger just committed to being Batman, sure. so, like, it was, like, a weird meta set, but all of his scenes had to do with, like, the death of his parents, <laughs> sure. and, like, you know, it was like, he was, like, just kept going to the same sort of things. We had to have, like, a team well, huddle. Well, from what you know. He did such a good job, especially not realizing that everybody was going to trick him into being the only one dressed as Batman.
0: That's incredible.
3: Uh, so check it out. I think there's, like, a 30-second video somewhere on Tumblr from two years ago. how
0: fulfilling that will be. Yes. (laughs) Research it for hours so you can be mildly thrilled at a
3: live show that you weren't at. Nothing
0: (laughs) translates better than videotaped
3: improv. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, That's why it's so successful on television. Yes. People love it. And, anyway, Fangent over. Uh, what else? What else about this episode?
0: Well, then, um... Well, there's a fight. Robin's revealed. Batman shows up. Because I guess Batman couldn't just hide and wait at the suburban house to get her. Yeah.
3: That would have been way easier. I guess they needed to know where the kidnapped people the hen-
0: were. Because it's just the henchmen that take them. Right.
3: Maybe there was like right. an order like, kill them off if we, you know, if baby dolls kidnapped. Jesus. I don't know. You know, we got to create our a own bullet in his brain. <laughs> Whoa. Christian Bale Batman. You're here too? Yes. Uh, oh, something you mentioned off- microphone was uh hypoplasia or, or the
0: systemic hypoplasia which
3: i guess is a real thing but doesn't really translate itself this way i wouldn't think so but it's like a, it's fun to like it's like the orphan disease yes <laughs> spoiler for the movie orphan the horror oh movie yeah was pretty bad
0: yeah whatever happened to that is she like baby-dolling somebody right now There's she's probably actress?
3: baby-dolling somebody oh god she's kidnapping all the people who were in the movie orphan and trying to recreate a horror movie look out Ugh, we need a real batman uh, oh, so then, oh, so we kind of, tr- after he has a little fight with Miriam. Yeah. Uh, which is fun. Really well animated, too. Yeah, this episode is very well animated. It's oh, really good. Also, uh, the doll, the Raggedy Ann doll with a, uh. Oh, the bullet, the gun p- coming out one of the eyes. That's so cool. It's so creepy. It reminded me of Dark Knight Returns a little bit. Isn't there, like, an evil doll in that? Probably. Maybe it's not. I think it's maybe, like, a little talking doll that's a bomb, or, like, a person.
0: Uh, could be. I don't I, know. Sure, th- this is just it me revealing.
3: Like I don't have any comic book. If knowledge.
0: you're saying there's a scene in a Batman thing where a toy is a bomb, I'm going to say yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah, that happens absolutely. I wouldn't trust any toy in Gotham City. No, I'm going to be reading books. Thank you. Well, can you even read a book in there? Because oh, Egghead will he do something? Yeah, like...
3: the '60s villain will jump in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you can't trust toys. I mean, Riddler. The Riddler made a line of toys. Oh, Jesus. Uh <laughs>
1: that seems more like the
0: Joker's line of work.
3: Yeah, well, Riddler's Reform, good
0: episode. Oh. Uh great. Rewatch it. It also when she's alone, baby doll is alone in like the kitchen, it also reminded me of like The Twilight Zone where it's the kid in charge like is the god basically yes. and like keeps all the town basically terrified and everyone just has to agree with him to everything he does otherwise will destroy them. So, like, this cute little innocent figure being all-powerful and also menacing and terrifying.
3: That's one of my favorite tropes that I feel like gets pulled for other comic booky stuff. Like, I think it's it's definitely a present in here. And I feel like the Twilight Zone is always being pulled as reference for mm-hmm. a lot of, like, from this to, like, The Simpsons. Sure. But uh, there's a Justice League two-parter, I think, in the first season. I want to say it's called Legends, but maybe not. Maybe but, it's called The Scary Godlike Child. I think The Scary project. Godlike Child. <laughs> yes. And they, they spoil the ending, but but it's like a two-parter where like they get tra- like the justice league gets transported to another dimension where they kind of do a, a like a happy go lucky like 60s justice guild style oh, people fun. and then it turns out like their number one fan is the one that's like has these like hip you know tele not telekinetic telepathic powers that he's basically creating like a reality where everybody has to like pretend things are good but it's oh, like God. He's like he looks like a normal kid and then once his illusion is over it turns out there's a post-apocalyptic world and he's got this like creepy pulsating brain and oh, he looks like a little monster. Sounds like a good one. It's a great one. Oof. Uh, or uh, Justice Society? I think yeah, it's called the Justice Guild, but it's the Justice Society they're sort of riffing on. Mm. Check it out. So then Baby Doll leaves, right? She heads or you well, know she escapes, she
0: escapes in a th- uh, right next door to the Studio is a carnival or of course a, amu- how many amusement parks does Gotham city have? Miss, and, I'm guessing it's the same one as in Be a Clown, but I feel like they have a functioning amusement parks they certainly have abandoned amusement parks. yes, they have toy factories, abandoned toy <laughs> factories, candy factories
3: probably they have ice factories they, they get, got everything you need if you're a villain they have docks. Some say that Batman is the one inspiring these villains. I think it's just the buildings,
0: the architecture.
3: The architecture is really what's galvanizing villains to take mm-hmm. a stand and create a more flowery character. Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, so we, get, I think they reuse some of the music from "Be a Clown," which was that one. It's like an early episode where, like, the Joker kidnaps like Mayor Hill's son. Yeah, like he dresses up as like Jekko, the Clown, but Ooh. they have like a fun. Roller coaster fight. I think it's like supposed to be the same roller coaster. I think it's cool that like Batman uses. It's one of the only times Batman uses being Batman like right. in like a cool to kids way yeah, yeah, yeah. to his advantage. Yeah. And it's like really fucked up. Like he jumps on a building and he's like, I can't find Baby Doll in the sea of kids. Right. So he just stands there. He's like, Okay, I'll just be prominent for a second. I know all the kids who aren't Baby Doll are gonna yes. come and see me. Great
0: Pied Piper. Yes. Moment.
3: And also like, oof, that's got to be. A sting to baby doll who wants nothing but fame.
0: Right? Um, If she stands on a building, they'll be like, Hey, kid, get off that goddamn popcorn snack.
3: I was in Hamlet.
0: (laughs) No one cares. Uh You are awful. Read Robin's review. P.U.
3: Robin's (laughs) review in the Gotham Gazette says, P.U. She stinks. Uh, And then we have a really fun, you know, like, now you're playing on, like, baby's terms or whatever. Yeah, because,
0: like, there's... She calls through, like... They go to, like, a fun house, basically. Yeah. Like, she calls through a tunnel, but it's... She's tall enough to run through it, but Batman has to
3: crawl. She's really short.
0: She's really short. And she just wallops. Oh, she also hits him with like tennis balls. It's great. Gun machine. Oh, that's one of my favorite
3: oh. moments. Yeah, fight, using like carnival games to yeah, fight yeah. Batman. And I think Batman is definitely holding back.
0: Yeah, throughout he does This fight. She may not be a child, but she's the size of a child. She's the size. She has probably she probably has a lot of health problems. I'm assuming like a lot of her organs haven't developed properly. <laughs> no. She's probably maybe on goes to dialysis. Her bones probably ache. Yeah, she's pretty spry she's for She's wearing these tight curls. She's got a, her body has to feel terrible. Shirley all Temple, the time. more like
3: Curly Temple.
0: Ugh. Ton number 4789.
3: Log it. Okay. Um but then
0: he finally is like has enough, and he like throws a stuffed animal at her. Yeah, yeah. he's like, all right, I'm
3: going to unleash. I'm going to throw a stuffed animal. Because
0: you couldn't see... We don't want to see Batman just punch her.
3: No. <laughs> no. I don't think anybody wants to see that. And if you do, what is wrong
0: with you? Right. But I would get it if someone did punch her, because she's menacing people. I think the only people she's who are
3: able to validly punch her should be like the family and friends of the people she kidnapped.
0: What about other kids?
3: Other kids, sure. I'd love to see a bunch of kids beat up on Baby Doll.
0: Oh, like she goes like Village of the Damned? Yes. Oh
3: my god. They just swarm her.
0: Tell her of art. From limb from limb. <laughs> uh,
3: I thought you said tell her of art. <laughs> and I was tell like. Tell her
0: of art, because that Macbeth's <laughs> strong. que P- you. Uh... But then she runs into the funhouse. Right. It's and then, away, it's the Hall of
3: Mirrors. The Hall of Mirrors, which is one of the best. I, I even when It's she, amazing. She, they pull that old trick of like, you don't know which one is the real Batman and. Right, it's it's also like a classic Batman moment where like he gets the upper hand, Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like whenever that happens, whenever it happens in Batman Begins too, like that. Where are you? Oh, here, kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's always so cool because he becomes the monster stalking. Yes. The villain, you kind of sympathize with the villain because you're kind of like put in this horror movie. Well, scenario. that's his,
0: like goes back to like the first issue. Like I'm going to become a symbol of something they fear. Yeah, I'm like I feel like a lot of that is lost in like Batman. Yeah, like, he is meant to be like he's the thing that's supposed to scare villains. Because you look at him just on paper, like oh he doesn't. He's wearing the silly pointy hat and he's got like a. Th- a symbol on his chest. He's like into graphic design and a kicky belt. Yeah. (laughs) Cool belt. It's a cool belt, but it's not exactly terrible. Blue, yellow, and gray aren't exactly colors that instill fear in me.
3: No, I think the yellow's a bit
0: much. Yellow's a bit over the top. Takes it into a little like child's bedroom.
3: You know what? Maybe we expand this Tumblr about the fashion of Gotham and Batman the Animated Series to include things other than shoes. Thank you.
0: I love the chest emblems.
3: Yeah. I love when it changes to just the black. Yeah. So you like the new Batman Adventures design a little more?
0: Uh I do. I don't love the oval yellow. Yeah,
3: interesting. I like I like it in the 60s one. It took me a little while to get used to in New Batman Adventures, but I ended up liking it. I I, I don't like, like the both.
0: Catwoman though. Oh, I mean, she the, looks like a little anime character. She too. is
3: a little like Batman Returnsy in design, yeah, but like it didn't work for me. I love it in the original, which she's more like a cat suit. So I do prefer that like version a woman. of Catwoman. Um, although I love uh, I like Poison Ivy in the new Batman adventures mm. and I really love the Scarecrow. His design is great. He's always pretty good. He's got like the the Batman the animated series have a couple and he's more of like the wiry comic scarecrow. Sure. Uh, but like that Jeffrey Combs Scarecrow with like the noose on his neck.
0: Scarecrow is terrifying.
3: He's great. He's a
0: terrifying character. <laughs>
3: yeah, even if he's like even the over the top kind of theatrical version of him from this season, yeah, is still creepy because he's a he's going out of his way. He was a psychiatrist that's like experimenting yeah. on people. I even
0: thought the Batman Begins one was scary.
3: Oh, I loved the Batman Begins one.
0: I just wanted more of him. Right, because just seeing him as a regular guy, and even there's scenes where he just like puts the mask on, like <laughs> that's terrifying. For some reason, that. They made that scary. Usually it's like someone just appears in the creepy man. But it's rare to see someone put on a mask and still be
3: scary. I wanted more of him in Batman Begins. Yes. I think, was it The Dark Knight He's In Dark Knight Rises, he's got a fun scene. Yeah, more of that, less of Bane. They're Bane. He was fine.
0: I, you know, I really like the Nolan truth. I look at them as those three movies as one complete Batman story and I like the Batman story they told. I don't like Like the the third one. I, I think it wraps up everything. This is how Batman could end. Yeah, no, I don't have a problem with the ending itself. Sure. I just think
3: it's kind of a boring movie.
0: Oh, I, I don't know. I liked the, the scope of it. I like that it was like there was a new season. Like, winter came. I, liked, cause I like Because when that winter? ever happened in a superhero movie? Like, oh, time. A lot of time is passing. Batman
3: Returns.
0: It was snowy at the beginning. It was snowy at the end. All right. <laughs> Football's in session at the beginning of this one. Okay. Bane is taking over the city for So you just like time days. passing. That's I your barometer. Movie. Yes. Boyhood is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I
3: really like Boyhood. I've never seen it. Actually. Ooh, check it out! It's great.
0: It seems very long.
3: It is. <laughs> You'd be correct. <laughs> um, let's see what else about Baby Doll. Well,
0: it's just that final heartbreaking scene, I think, it's and like, then
3: Funhouse Mirror that doesn't really—it's—it's it's like very much outside the realm of possibility. Her seeing herself, sure. but it's such a beautiful moment.
0: It's because um, it's how she feels on the inside, and I think you know a lot of people could probably relate to like your outside not. Reflecting yeah. how you feel on the inside. and But then her ultimately destroying that. Uh-huh. Which, in a it's way... It's self-loathing. But also, I was thinking that is the healthy thing to do, though. That's true. Because that is not what she looks. So she, I think she needs to like get on the path of accepting she is going to look like a child, and that's okay. That's a
3: much happier way of looking at it, and that makes sense. Yeah, I, I always looked at it as this very tragic, kind of her shooting herself was she hated herself. I, she does, absolutely. But I think you're right. Like, her shooting that version of herself is like, I am who I am. She needs to let go of it. Well, which is great about... I mean, we can talk a little bit about it. I didn't rewatch it, but Love is a Crock is the other right. baby doll episode. And it's nice to see that, at least in the beginning of that, she's doing well. She's doing well, but, like, that is... The scary thing I love about Baby Doll in this
0: one is like the duality of her like her voice changing, going back and forth, and like it's very creepy and unsettling. And her struggling with her identity. And in Love is a Croc, it's more just she's a crazy like she's a crazy baby themed bat, you know, right? Child
3: themed criminal. It's a cool it's story, but it's not. Uh, yeah, Baby Doll is. I, I love her much more in yeah. this episode
0: because she just sees Croc and like we're both freaks. Like, yeah, well, that's not a healthy, <laughs> you know. Just because you both have like biological
3: issues with yourself doesn't mean you should necessarily date them. It works on, you know, like it works on like a story level, but it yes. doesn't, it doesn't play out as well to me. It's less dimensional. I think I don't. I think it's also like those versions of Baby Doll and Killer Croc. I don't like as much design wise either. Yeah, she has or weird bangs. It's like a helmet. Yeah, there,
0: and she doesn't look. Because I like her, like, the Shirley temple is. Me
3: too. And whatever happened to Baby Jane, is the same thing. And she... Also, the voice actor's changed for both of them. This yeah. one's Alison LaPlaca, who does, like, such a good job. And it's Lorraine Newman doing her in the second one, which is, like, she doesn't do a bad job. No, not at all. It's just, like, I kind of preferred the first one. Same with right. Killer Croc. Like, the original actor, I think, is has so much more, like, rough, like, humanity to him. And the second one's just kind of like, hey, I'm a bad guy. But
0: do you think a lot of that is, like, sometimes it's the first one you hear i think that's probably part of it because i remember the first time i heard the non-jim henson kermit and it was very unsettling
3: i still don't like it
0: (laughs) i know but is that just because we're so used like it's not bad it's just slightly different
3: i think you're right i think
0: think if you go in like if that if the kermit you hear in like treasure island is the first kermit you ever hear you're not gonna care yeah and then but if you hear the jim
3: henson you probably don't not going to have a preference. For me with Kermit it's a little different. I'm going to get real nerdy here. I feel like Please. there's like a humanity to like the fact that Jim Henson was I agree Kermit. With you. So like in that case we have kind of like this is a man who's kind of playing a character but it's also just his ideals being funneled out of Jim like it's like Well he is Kermit. Exactly. Whereas like with this I think you you're definitely right. Like I mean and also like you're right overall just cuz it's like yeah that's what you wanted. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'm I mean it really is like a fan kind of thing where I'm like, well, this is the first version of it I right. saw. Of course I like this more. And
0: I, I, I'm with the I prefer the Jim Henson one cuz that's the one from my that's the
3: one that resonates. With like me. I don't that's like the really one. anything post Muppets Take Manhattan or whenever when Jim Henson died, I was like, cool, there are some good ideas here. I like Muppets from Space a little bit, but like it just never felt the same. There was right. like it was missing they that extra
0: I think that's why Christmas Carol holds up because Kermit's a minor character.
3: Yeah. Like, it's not
0: focused on him. It's all uh, Michael Caine.
3: <laughs> Which is kind of the boring part of the movie.
0: I watched it. I hadn't seen it in, like, 20 years. When it's I, pretty when decent. When I was 95.
3: Right. So, uh,
0: it's pretty, I thought, like, this is a very good version of the Christmas Carol.
3: Yeah. No, it's definitely a good version of A Christmas Carol. I, Treasure Island, I don't like. I've never seen it They have a fun song Cabin Fever But I feel like People who are like Five years younger than me Mm. That's like That's my favorite Like we have friends Where they're like That's my favorite Muppet movie I'm like You're wrong I love Muppet Wizard of Oz Why? It's the worst version Of both The Muppet movie and The Great Muppet Caper are my. That's all you need. And The Muppet Show. Yeah, Muppet Show. I like
0: Muppet's Take Manhattan.
3: Me too. I think it was just like uh, less of. I think I saw the other ones first. Yeah. The Muppet movie, I think, is just one of the greatest films, period. Like outside of being a Muppet movie. And
0: the music? Can we talk about the music?
3: Uh, Yeah, Paul Williams, who played the penguin on Batman the Animated Series. Oh, we are
0: full circle. See, we did it.
3: Wow. Oh, gotta get Paul Williams on the podcast. Yeah. Doubt he'll ever do it, but boy, if you're he listening. Might be. I
0: saw the documentary about him. He
3: is the coolest Phantom of the Paradise, oh. The Penguin, the new uh, ish uh, Daft, Daft Punk? Punk, where he basically sings a song that's as the Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, is it? I mean, it's kind of like an unofficial. Like, I think Daft Punk was inspired by Phantom of the Paradise. Like the helmets that they wear oh, I can are see because that. of that film. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like them collaborating with him. He sounds kind of like that character does when he's in the helmet. Uh huh. Ooh, it's so good.
0: Well, and also the Phantom in the Phantom of the Paradise is very unlikable. Yes, <laughs> he's like so creepy and rapey and
3: yeah. He's definitely stalkerish, but he's kind of a. He seems like a sexual predator. There's something sweet about him in the beginning. Uh, yes. and then he just gets completely cartoonishly fucked over. Well, like he yeah, they, they pull out all his teeth. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, like they press the the record press on his face. Uh, that wouldn't happen nowadays.
3: No, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and in maybe it's real like life or in a man <laughs> records. <laughs> oh boy. Batman. So Paul Williams is the penguin. Mm. Where did we end up? Oh yeah, Killer Croc kind of is in, in Baby, to, or Love is a crock, not as great. <laughs> and was she, I should have looked at, she was never introduced into the comics. She was not, mm. as far as I know. She's one of the only characters that, I talked to Paul Dini a little bit about it, which, if you're listening to this, you'll hear soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's one of the only characters that hasn't been introduced into the comics from the animated series. I think Red Claw maybe didn't uh-huh. make the cut. She's kind of less of an interesting villain.
0: Well, she just—I think Baby Doll is just like because I think a lot of great Batman villains are like identified or you know defined by their the duality of their psychology, and she's such like that, you know, it's like the child versus the adult and feeling trapped in your the shell of who you are, and like I don't know, it just seems like a classic. It seems like it should have been a character that existed for all time. Yeah, I don't point. know
3: why she hasn't made the jump
0: because it could be so it's so unsettling. Just seeing like a little. An adult pretending to be a child? Is there something so wrong about yeah.
3: that? Yeah. But also, like, very truthful to a lot of yeah. actors. <laughs> yes. Uh, really slamming actors with a dot, dot, dot question mark Get at the end in of sense. My sense. Sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> swear, right? P U. No, you can swear. Oh, right, great. Uh, yeah. Cool. We talked Baby Doll. Awesome. Anything else you want to talk about um, that we didn't bring up? Uh, I'm not, I'm, ve- uh,
0: have you talked about Suicide Squad? Have you talked about <laughs> Batman versus Superman? I have a lot of issues and feelings about those, but I can save those for a later day.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think most people I know are all kind of on the same page about all those, which is like, it's kind of a bummer that they're being made the way that they're being made. Right, but we're all going to see them anyway. Sure, I'll check it out, but... I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder. Yeah, let's not have well, Why
0: does Harley Quinn need to like be dressed like that? And like I don't want to see her be hit by the Joker anymore. No. I'm tired of that. Yeah, like, that's not, that hasn't aged well. I have too much,
3: like, love and respect for the character.
0: Right? I want to, like, see Harley move on from the Joker or have them be more, uh, but I guess it wouldn't work if they were, like, you know, a a fair relationship, if it was a balance. The the scales of power were even.
3: Like, he was always kind of abusive, uh, but I, at least in the comic, like, the Mad Love episode or comic, like you know it's not overdone it's not like a, I feel like there's like a torture porny kind of version of it yeah. which is what I feel like we're seeing in suicide squad having not seen the movie yet sure. obviously we're just basing this on like internet <laughs> sure. news yeah but it feels like they're like the the version of her that shows up in the Arkham games at least the way she's designed is very much like you know appealing to the male gaze absolutely and appealing to this idea of like a hostile horror movie audience where it's like we want to see violence done to women yeah yeah, um, and and Harley's too cool.
0: <laughs> like, too- and the problem with that is, like, Joker is going to be made out to be the cool character. Like, he's going to be on T-shirts at Hot Topic. He's right. going to be. They're going to merchandise the hell out of them they're gonna want you to like him i'm sure
3: she'll be merged too but
0: sure but like when else is like this active like spousal abuser being like marketed to like kids <laughs> yes. you know like no we this isn't, shouldn't be someone we celebrate as being cool and awesome or like an anti-hero right no he's a piece of shit <laughs>
3: <laughs> right yeah absolutely i mean he's always been Fuck a piece of shit he was a sociopath that kills people too but, like
0: now he's like hitting women all the time like batman you could break your rule just Put a bullet in his brain. Let's just do it. He's worthless. And that his tattoos are terrible. Yeah, P U. <laughs> Robin's Robin.
3: Gotham Gazette tattoo review.
0: <laughs> Your ink stinks.
3: <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. I think we got to end on that. All right. Your ink stinks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Mark Rennie is a hero amongst men. Am I right, guys? If you want more of the Ren Man, as he doesn't like to be called, follow him at Mark Rennie, the way it sounds.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, 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 good. He likes puns. Great. Good, good for you. Now can we get on to the...
3: PodQuest cast. No, I don't think so. I think it's time for a commercial break.
2: I'm starting to legitimately hate you. If you need me, I'll be vigorously glaring at you, even though I don't have eyes, for the next 45 minutes. That's me glaring at you.
3: I don't know. It sounds like you're pooping. Are you sure you're not pooping?
2: You know I'm not pooping. I'm a microphone. I'm glaring like microphones do. Oh, wait. No, yeah, I pooped.
3: Okay, well, while I figure out how to clean up a microphone poop, commercial time. And now a word from our sponsor. Have you ever found yourself saying this?
2: Oh, Drat, I just shit my pants again.
3: Would you like an adult diaper for future
2: use? Adult diapers? Aren't those things just for babies and seniors?
3: Not anymore, you worry wart. Introducing Mary Doll's adult dollpers the only adult diaper suited for 18- to 65-year-olds. Gee, I couldn't help overhearing you two talk about diapers specifically made for 18- to 65-year-olds. Mind if I join in? Sure thing, friend.
2: These dollpers are for men and women.
3: Both genders?
2: You don't say.
3: Oh, yes, we do say. Every Mary doll adult dollper is fitted to be a comfortably snug one-size-fits-all and is lined with special padding to absorb whatever your 18- to 65-year-old body throws at it. Well, that's all peaches and gravy, but a mighty good product like that must cost a million bucks! That's right! Each box costs one million dollars. Sorry buddy, but these aren't your grandma's diapers. These are dollpers!
2: What makes that so different to justify such an insanely steep cost?
3: That's confidential, but you can rest assured that it's a very expensive process. So, who wants to wear a Merry doll adult dollper? Maybe. <laughs> calm down you two everybody can wear one provided you're 18 to 65 that is mary doll's signature adult dollpers
2: it only costs one million dollars and it's totally worth it
3: we now return your ears to our regularly scheduled podcast all right looks like mike Rufina is still glaring at me silently which is great because it's finally time to talk about today's guest paul dini Okay, do I really need to do an intro for Paul Dini? I mean, he's one of the best Batman writers on the planet. He created Harley Quinn. He wrote what are arguably the series' very best episodes like Heart of Ice and Over the Edge and Mad Love and so many more. Uh, In addition to superhero cartoons and comics and the Arkham Asylum games, Paul also created the show Tower Prep. He wrote for Lost. He's one of the nicest and most humble guys I've met, and it was absolutely surreal to chat with him about the show. Uh, You can probably tell, but I turned pretty fanboyish pretty fast. Hopefully that didn't scare him off because I have so many more questions for future episodes. I really would love to bring him back. Uh, If you haven't listened to his episodes on Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man on Batman, I also highly recommend that. Paul has talked so extensively about his background and the more shiny fan-favorite episodes elsewhere, so it only seemed natural to talk about an episode that often gets overlooked. Okay, let's do this. It's Dini time! Great, I'm sitting across from Paul Dini, which... Is a dream come true for me. Oh. A way to kick it off really
1: weirdly. Oh. (laughs) Uh, You're
3: too kind. Well, you brought
1: me a slush, which is pretty cool. Well, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it's, what, 114 out there today? Yeah, it's really hot. And I was late, so I had to bring you something. But I'd I'd gotten you the slush before I was late. I just, you know, owing to... My crappy sense of direction, I got mixed up on Flower Street. So. Hey, it all worked out. Here we are. Yeah. But uh Sonic Cranberry Slush, they're good. I didn't get paid to say this. They actually are that no, good. No,
3: we are unofficially sponsored by the Sonic Cranberry <laughs> Slush. We go. yes. <laughs> We're going to be making a few more plugs throughout the rest of the interview. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh so I don't even know where to begin with you. Uh you're like you're my favorite Batman writer. Oh, I thank think you, you write it's the best Batman stories, kind. the best You have a knack for writing the character and the characters around him, obviously. Thank you. Um, I guess let me ask you to begin, how did you get started? How were you interested in comic books and and
1: characters like that to begin with? It was just something that always interested me. You know, when I was a kid, I had a natural interest in in comics and, and fantasy and cartoons and everything. I think those were the happiest moments I spent growing up were sitting in my room and reading Adventure novels, whether they were boys' adventures like um, Sherlock Holmes or The Jungle Book or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or, uh, you know, James Bond or in- anything by Ian Fleming, you know, was 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 pretty great. And, you know, I'm talking like I started when I was like six or seven. You know, as soon as I could read a novel, I I, I devoured as many as I, I could. And uh, my parents actually signed me up for a Novel of the Month Club. So every month there was... Huck Finn or Moby Dick or, um, uh, Charles Dickens or something like that showing up and I, I just I oh another book I'll sit and read it. you know White Fang th- things like that the, the standard thing that boys used to read you know 30 to 40 years ago when you just sit down and and uh, you know read a standard book that you get out of the library, Alice in Wonderland things like that and I just read it all and then um, comics just sort of naturally filtered in as part of that um, I would find them at the the drugstore had a big comic spinner rack and they were at the barber shop and uh we subscribed to three daily papers up in the San Francisco area where I grew up. So that was a natural, you know, dovetail for comics also. So in the morning I read, uh, Doonesbury, uh, Pogo, uh, Peanuts and a strip I loved called Gordo. And then the night it was Beetle Bailey, Pogo, Dick Tracy, Orphan Annie, um, high and Lois. you name it, you know, it all just filtered in there. So it was like three solid blasts of comics throughout the day. And then, comic books on the weekend when I could get them and, and things like that. So, you know, Batman was naturally a part of that. Then again, it was it wasn't like I, I differentiated that much between superheroes and funny books. I could read a Batman or Superman or Spider-Man at the same time, throw it, you know, put it down then pick up hot stuff or Josie and the Pussycats or Uncle Scrooge or something like that. It was all comics and it was all good. So I think that sort of filtered in to my thought process, I I liked good stories. And if the character was a bit extreme or exaggerated or unbelievable, so much the better.
3: Yeah, I feel like knowing that about you, at least kind of, I, some of my favorite episodes are yours because I think you have a knack for injecting comedy into an otherwise pretty serious show mm-hmm. and doing it gracefully. Thank you. Uh, do you feel like you're drawn to bringing comedy to Batman a little
1: bit? Well, I think it helps it out a lot. I think... You know, you're in a situation where um, Batman's world is not always a a laugh riot, but <laughs> a little bit of humor can break the tension. Certainly, when uh, I wrote the episode uh, for um, it's a later episode, uh, "Over the Edge," it was such a grim story and so dark. I mean, I mean you know, Batgirl falls off a building and kid dies on her on her dad's car. She's you know, she falls to her death, and she's lying there broken, and she dies in her dad's arm. It's like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta lighten this up a little bit. I mean, it's like, it's like composing music. It can't all be heavy duty, you know, you know, heavy strings and 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 bass and everything. You have to have a lighter moment in there. So, in the middle of that, I stuck in that bit with you know, the villains on a talk show and and kind of, it's not really funny, but it does break the tension a little bit. It's pretty
3: funny. I also feel like it's like a wonderful exploration of, at least in improv, I do improv and they have this idea of if this, then what? Yes. And it's just blowing out the world. Like, of course, if Batman was suddenly known, you know, if he was a vigilante to the extreme to everybody in Gotham, of course the villains would want to get... A paycheck based off of that, right?
1: Right. You know, if, if his identity was known, then everybody would sue him, and yeah. uh, and it would and and there's a there's an element of tragedy to that. There's also an element of ridiculousness to that. And and within that world, I mean, you know, you've got superheroes and that have these big powers and and elaborate costumes and everything. And I think more with the DC world that these characters, it always struck me as a bit lighter than the Marvel world, a mm-hmm. bit more of the fantastic and the fantasy world, and I think that they lend themselves to a a lighter touch. I I don't think you want to mock the character and what they are and what they stand for, but certainly any character can have a lighter moment or, you know, can, uh, can drop the mask a little bit and you see a bit of humanity in there, and I think that's what people really respond to. When they become too extreme and too jokey and you lose all sorts of threat, you know, Everybody – every version of Batman is someone's favorite, so I'm not going to say it's necessarily wrong, but I I prefer the other way. I remember when I was a kid, like around the second season of the Adam West Batman, Mm -hmm. it lost whatever little shred of believability it had, and it was just colorful guest star of the week and Batman would do any old thing. You know, he's surfing with the Joker, he's singing songs, he's just – being silly. And and at that point, I remember I just kind of stopped watching at that point when when I was a kid or when I saw them in reruns or wherever I, whenever it, it kind of turned the point for me and I just sort of said like, eh, maybe had a little too much Batman. What are your favorite iterations of Batman? Well, I like a lot of the early stuff. I like the a lot of what I call the Dick Tracy Batman where it was um, more crime stories, more, uh, uh, when you would have villains like uh two-face and the joker they were a bit more freakish and monstrous that's not to say the joker you know was you know there there were uh stories when when he certainly was a killer but it was a little more twisted gangland stories yeah he felt like more of a gangster
3: at the time yeah
1: i mean i felt it was more like uh flat top or prune face or one of those guys and um the same with two-face and uh and some of the ones even just just the rank and file suit gangsters i i kind of liked that world i i thought batman worked particularly well in there and he would occasionally make a you know a smart ass remark as he's punching his way through a through a through a room full of gangsters or something like that i i certainly i love that version um i loved certain elements of the 60s show that i just remember reading at that time and i'll go back and read those books and i realize they're kind of silly but they're kind of fun too Uh, When I started taking Batman seriously again, I guess it was around when uh, Denny O'Neill took over writing, and then it was Irv Novak and Dick Giordano, and then, of course, Neil Adams, when he did the Joker's five-way revenge, that was like a revelation. It was like, oh, boy, here's Batman's back, and he's in a kind of threatening world, and everything looks cool, and... Joker's scary, and... um, Is
3: that what the laughing fish pulls from?
1: Well, yes, you know what... It's a combination of stories, right? uh, Yes, if we wanted to have adapted Steve Engelhart's laughing fish story, which really is a wonderful story, it really is interwoven with the Hugo Strange story, and there's a penguin story in there, and there's uh, the whole thing with um, Silver St. Cloud is a big part of that, and it's a wonderful story, and I think if you were able to take anything and make it into, like, a direct-to-video, that would be really great to Mm -hmm. do that... Uh, to do that uh the Hugo Strange Joker you know run uh of of Steve Englehart's stories but if um it, we we just couldn't do that and yet the Joker's Five-Way Revenge is a great story and it had that great climax so we kind of uh did a hybrid of it made you know ran laughing the uh, the gimmick of the laughing fish with the joke uh, with the big finale of the Joker's Five-Way Revenge you know, throwing Batman in the in, in the shark tank and everything. It just seemed to work out well that way. Um, I mean, we did that with a few stories, like uh, there was a story from the 50s called Joker's Millions, 40s or 50s, where he inherits a lot of money and he's spending money right and left. And the idea of the Joker being out and about has always intrigued me, and I didn't want to do it too much. But in this case, there's something about that hook for a story that lends itself to the modern day world particularly well where in modern society okay it hasn't really happened with mass killers yet but there's something that really celebrates wrongdoers and that you can't it's almost like you can't do enough uh bad before you're locked up and so the idea that joker was at least able to get a lot of money and then throw it at the courts in a way of of confusing things long enough so he could go out and live it up as a millionaire was very uh attractive to me i love that episode it's so i mean it's mostly a comedic episode
3: it's so fun right it
1: it it is fun and the idea that he's just just spending his money and then he discovers he's been set up and (laughs) and uh you might feel a little bit sorry for him that he got taken advantage of but you never feel too bad for him and you you want to see okay how am i how's he going to get out of it this time and and um and go back to his uh life of crime and everything but it was it was fun now, like the, we we couldn't really uh, adapt the story as written because the hook was great and some of the visuals were great but then the story itself kind of kind of spun out of control so ch- taking it into our animated series world we were able to make it more of a more of a product of of our way of thinking about the characters at that time well i guess why don't you describe to me a little bit what your way of thinking about the characters at the time was well, it was almost, and for me personally, and I and I think that uh, Alan Burnett might agree with this. It was like we're doing a weekly, we're doing a weekly show, but it's I was I, I just thought of it as a weekly show with a very extended cast. And when you did a Two Face episode or a Joker episode or Penguin, you might not have seen them for three weeks before, but you're picking them up again, so you're keeping their story going, and also integrated with that. Um, that particular version of Batman. Uh, The more we did the show, the more I think we came under, I wouldn't say scrutiny, but the more it was suggested that we broaden Batman's world a little bit to include Robin, that was the first one, and then Batgirl and then uh, Nightwing. And the more that we had suggestions like that, we didn't really fight them, but we found ways to incorporate them in a... uh, in a way that we felt suited our show very well. So the idea of having Nightwing have a falling out with Bruce and then go off by himself, I think that worked out rather gracefully bringing Batgirl in and, and Tim Drake. We, we made a lot of lemonade, but we, uh, we developed a taste for lemonade. I, I'd say, <laughs> you know, we, we were allowed to make those changes the way that we thought fit. It wasn't like you're putting in this character and this is the way you're going to do it. Like we were getting the note from a creative executive at, a network, it was more like, can we see more Batgirl this season? And then once we started thinking more Batgirl, okay, what's her story going to be and how can we incorporate that in? And which is the way they do it in prime time when you've got a character that suddenly clicks or you're going to feature an actor a bit more. Uh you bump him up from a featured role into a uh into a um or from a recurring to a regular role. So uh, I think that we did it fairly gracefully, and it did broaden Batman's world a bit, and uh, it always adds more to Bruce Wayne, and that's never a bad thing uh, either. I'm always fighting for more time for Bruce Wayne because I think he's just as interesting as Batman. You know, you want to have the costume and the mask and the gadgets and the car and everything, but if if it was up to me, I would have done more Bruce Wayne as a detective and putting on the suit as sort of like a last resort because I'm— I like the way that Bruce's mind works. I, I've always want, and I was able to do this a little bit when I started writing, both Detective and then later when I started the Streets of Gotham book uh, for DC. I wanted to play him more Sherlock Holmesy in the fact that his thought process never clicks off; that he's always looking at somebody, he's always analyzing somebody, he's always gauging. You know, like uh, he's not Daredevil, so he can't hear you know people's pulse or their or their heartbeat or anything. But he's very good at at being a quick read and a quick study, and how to get something out of somebody. And I always wanted to have more thought captions or thought balloons going when he was uh, um, trying to pull the uh, the Bruce Wayne routine and seemingly be innocent, but at the same time, you know, he can he can be just as effective getting secrets out of somebody when he's Bruce. And the, as when he's Batman and he's holding somebody off a, off a rooftop or something.
3: Well, that's what I love about your detective run and, I think, Streets of Gotham is that they felt like lost Batman, the animated series episodes, to yeah. me. because I was like, oh, I know this voice. I love the way that you write him. Mm-hmm. It was so cool to see, like, kind of an expansion of that. But we dug more into Bruce, which is, it, it is kind of, like, lacking, not necessarily in a negative way from the series, but it feels like... The central figures in a lot of the episodes, the people who have emotional arcs are usually the villains or even just side characters. Sure, sure. You know, there's like, you know, gangsters that have more of an emotional arc in an episode than Batman, which is cool because Mm -hmm. for a show about Batman, the fact that kids are watching it and it's not really about him is kind of interesting. Right, right. But we don't dive too far into him beyond a a select few episodes in the movie
1: right and i and i always think that that's you know it it all depends on what playing field you're on if you've got an animated series nine times out of ten they'll want you to skew more toward the action you know Mm -hmm. more toward toward boys action less toward you know balance it with some comedy to don't make it too funny and also less of the Bruce stuff and more of the gadgets in the car and the and the and and in some cases the cameo appearances by by other superheroes. if you're doing the book, it's a little more um skewed toward Bruce and some of the soap opera elements with some of the other characters. but again, you know they are buying the book to see Batman, so you got to throw him in there somewhere and With the video games that I've written, it was a learning experience on the first one, and I learned very quickly that. This is not a movie. This is a game experience, and it has to be moving for the gamer because— And this is Arkham Asylum and— Arkham Asylum uh, and Arkham City. Right. Yeah. um, uh, It's such a wonderful world and wonderfully rendered, and the voices were great, and the quality of animation was so great. I would have loved to have done a 90-minute movie— in that world and just make it look like that. But yeah. when we're doing the game, it was like I couldn't get too involved in the cutscene or put too much information in there because some of that you have to disseminate throughout the game. He mm-hmm. has to discover certain clues. He has to be a detective and go into detective mode, which is fine. You know, it took me about two or three weeks just writing to figure out what worked and what didn't work and then working with the uh, Rocksteady team to say, okay, less less movie feel, more of a game experience, but let's still keep some of that where you can. Again, you know, you're not going to have him ditching the mask and the co- the cape and then becoming, well, he actually did a little bit in the second one and becoming Bruce Wayne, um kind of starts off that way, but it's not, you know, in the middle of the game you can't interrupt it to have like a 20-minute movie segment because right. the gamers will be screaming and throwing things at their at their their consoles and you know, the fans will love it, but then again, you know, then they have to go back and play the game. So, it's a it's a delicate balance. So, I'd say in the book there was a chance to do a little bit more of that stuff. I I created some roles for him apart from matches Malone, some identities for him that he would put on and then go associate with certain gangsters who only knew of him in that role. You Mm -hmm. know, they'd go like, Hey, it's lefty. How you doing pal? it's like, Oh, these two guys, they know me and I'm friendly with them. So it was fun for me to have Batman go off and pal around with two guys. He knows as this criminal named lefty. And yet, you know, it's, 20 minutes later, you come in and Batman and beat the crap out of him, you know, because it's just, you know, what what he does, you know, and uh, boy, it's a good thing you got out of here before Batman showed up, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh, where that guy went. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, yeah, I heard him coming and I just made myself scarce. And oh, you always seem to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then I wonder, what does Batman feel like when he go home? You know, it's like, God, I was drinking with those two guys and right. they had to come in and beat him up. Well, I didn't beat him hard, you know, that sort of thing. Maybe cut him a break or something. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I I love that stuff, and uh, that harkens back to things like I enjoyed when I was a kid, like um, Zorro. I loved the Disney Zorro show, mm-hmm. which I never saw as a kid, but I later discovered in you know in reruns on the Disney Channel. I guess when I was in high school or college, I would watch those and I'd go, "Oh, that's sort of fun." And uh, and um, anything with two people with with two with dual identities, Disney Scarecrow was really great. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, that was Batman. I mean, it, if you look at that, if you're lucky enough to find like the special editions that came out a few years ago, when they brought out their collector's edition of of Doctor Sin the Scarecrow. It's I swear to god it's like Dr. Sin is is Bruce Wayne and the the young squire is is uh Robin and then the the sextant who works with uh sexton who works with uh uh Dr. Sin is Alfred. I mean it's <laughs> right there. In fact it's better than when they actually did Batman for real a few years later on ABC. It, it was a much better version of Batman than Walt Disney did about 3 years before, you know, Batman actually was on TV. So
3: let me ask you this. yeah, now, this is backtracking a little bit, but I'm curious as a writer on this show in particular yeah. on Batman the animated series uh, or the new Batman Adventures, uh, how did you script action? because certain shows there's pretty board heavy for action, and uh, certain shows, I feel like the writers have more leeway to write
1: a pretty descriptive scene. well, it was um it was more skewed toward the board artist, I'd say it was uh, in some shows, they want every bit of action described. And the board artists have to kind of slavishly um, follow it. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at some action adventure shows from the '80s, and it's all rigorously detailed. And it all it, a lot of that depended on what the budget was for the shows. Like if you were on a, uh, wrote for an action adventure show where they used a lot of reuse footage, you're going to s- script the uh, show to favor the reuse that you might have of a character in a sword fight or fighting a certain type of monster or you know doing a certain type of action when you when the budget's increased then the uh action could be a little more um uh original and then it, when we did Batman the animated series because we went for such a cinematic look um we opened the door to for the directors and the board artists to add a lot to it so a lot of times we would write in master shots. We mm-hmm. would have a an indication of what would go on in a scene. And if I had a specific gag, I would call for it. But quite often, the director would go over the scene and plus it, or the storyboard artist would plus it. Or frequently, the director or Bruce Timm or Eric Radomsky or later Glenn Murakami would sit down, either among themselves or with the storyboard artist, and they would block out, you know, an action sequence Bruce Timm is very good at taking, you know, something scripted and opening it up a bit and adding a lot to it. Mm -hmm. And he will still keep the plot the same, you know, whatever the the thrust of the episode is. And then but he might say for the um, for an action sequence, he goes, this is not giving us anything really here or it's stuff that we've done before. What about if we take it and then we rework it this way? So if it is, I'm just going with whatever comes to mind, like a, um, I think, and it wasn't my episode, but I think that was, uh, the second part of feet of clay. There mm-hmm. was some action that they felt could have been opened up and, uh, and, and plussed a lot. So I remember the second part of that, that was something, and I believe it was Kevin Terry who directed that episode. I, I need, I need to refer to the book, uh, and uh but i think they opened that up a lot in storyboard and in animation i think that was the tms episode and the animation on it was extremely beautiful <laughs> yes and 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 quite frequently that in the things that i've written it, um they will go in and and plus things because it's like you know i it's never to the point where i don't recognize it mm-hmm. but it is like okay we're going to do this we're going to do that and the writer um it's not an excuse for the writer to just get lazy and just not you know write anything uh, you at least have to give them some sort of uh, idea of what they're writing, or okay, if they're fighting in a fun house and and these crazy uh, you know ghosts are coming out of the walls and stuff like that, uh, and they attack people. You know, okay, I want to see that sequence. Suddenly, if the director and the and the boarders are talking about, it and they say I don't want to do ghosts and I don't want to do a haunted castle, what if it's like uh, science fiction and they're robots doing what the ghosts are doing or something like that? That would be a lot more fun to draw. It's like. Uh, well, what's a, does the wrap-up of the story work? Does the dialogue work? And, okay, that's kind of good. Okay, go ahead. You know, it's fine. Um, this, in doing that in comics, that works out that way too. Sometimes I'll write something and the artist will take it a different direction. I was looking at something just recently where I had written something that was very heavily text scripted when I said, okay, I want all this text to go in here over these images and feel free to open it up and draw what you want. And I had referred to certain things in the text and the artist had drawn none of those, but he kept the intent of what was happening um uh, alive in the illustrations and When I saw the illustrations, I threw my text out. I said, "No, this is this is a shorthand and an elegance that I could only hope to achieve someday in my writing. This is so much better and so much dramatic, so much more dramatic that I just threw out all my text and and I'm retexting it to compliment the way he because it's the same story, yeah, it's the same bit of business happening." And but the power in his images and the use of negative space is so much greater than if he had gunked up the panels with with everything I described in there. I just said no 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 this, this is the way it has to be and and I'm, I don't want to use just minimal text to make the images. Work, and I think that's the heart of any good collaboration. I was I mean, going
3: to say, it sounds amazingly collaborative. Were you always that collaborative, or did it take a little while to like open up and allow people to kind of mess well, with things, so to speak?
1: You know, I've always wanted to be able to draw as well as the artists that I work with, and that's just not my thing. I, I'm just I, – I, I can't. I can sketch a little bit, but that's about it. And if I'm designing characters, especially if they're funny characters or funny animals, I – uh. I don't do badly at that. At least I can do well enough to show somebody else what I'm thinking about. It's sort of, I equate it to like being a band leader and certain band leaders can get out there and they can play an instrument and they can like Bob Wills, who was one of my favorite band leaders in the Texas playboys years ago for anybody out there who listens to Western swing. He got up there and he played the fiddle really well and he'd sing and he'd holler and everything like that, but he wasn't going to sit down at the piano or the drums or the steel guitar and try and do their jobs. I think he could fake it out a little bit. Like I, if I, um, it's the same way. Like if you play an instrument really well, but you don't play the piano, but you have an idea for a tune, you can kind of plunk it out with one hand. Then the piano player is going to come in and play it flawlessly. That's sort of the way I look at being, uh, you know, being able to draw is that I could, um, again, for this thing I'm writing, um, um, I'm writing a big project now and I can't really talk about it, but it's, um, I had to illustrate, I had to come up with a an idea for a character that w- looked very different from the other characters in that world. So I sat down and I sketched it up and I did it to my satisfaction. And I was going like, okay, this looks kind of good. And I know an artist who can really plus this. So I called up this wonderful artist I know, name of Dave. And I said, can you take this and, and add to it? And here's what it is. And it's a really weird screwball type character. And here's here's the animal it's based on. And here's what it looks like. And here's my sketch of it like within two days, suddenly this creature out of a 1940s cartoon came back and he was just b- bursting with personality and fun. And it's just like, well, I want to take this and I want to do like 20 cartoons with this character. <laughs> and then but I was able to take his version of it and give it to the artist who's doing this book that I'm working on, who's the primary artist on the book. And he was able to interpret it in his own way. And then it's like, okay, that's great. This is, and And I felt much more better about it than if I had asked the, main artist to design the character because I had the idea in my head I needed it to look like a 40s character. This guy can draw that really well. And then my primary artist, you know, rendered it in the book. And it's like, okay, that's that works really great. That's awesome. And you, you have to leave yourself open to it. You know, like um, when I did the Mad Love book with Bruce Tim, mm-hmm. he I would give him script pages and he'd say, I'm cutting all this out, but I'm doing this. And it's like I had in the Joker's hideout, I had it... Sort of like a Wonderland of little rides, and he would sit on certain rides and go around slowly while he was thinking, or take little, you know, sit on little, you know, fer- Ferris wheels and stuff. And he just read it. And goes, ah, too, too much, too much. <laughs> it's like the Joker's thinking about something good. He's sitting over and he's and he's scratching at the table like this, and you know, Bruce is a wonderful actor with a pencil. He can get all that and he can add to it. So the it it isn't the icing that matters. It's what's at the, what's the cake taste like? You know, it's like, what's at the core of what are you trying to get to the emotion at the heart of the scene. And I'm not one who's going to throw a fit if I don't see every little bit of, you know, chuffa that I put in the script rendered in, in either on the page or, or in the episode, I am concerned mostly about the emotion of, does this work as entertainment, whether it, it reads well or whether it plays well? And there are times I've looked at things and I said, well, this guy really took a shortcut. He he didn't listen to anything I said. And now I don't know how I feel about this. So it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, you can't be a pushover. You have to go back and say, redraw it and do it like this. Or I'll get somebody else to draw it and then you can copy what they did. But... I, I don't know where I am in this. You've, you've left me out in the cold, and if you've you left me out in the cold, you're going to leave the audience out in the cold, and they're just not going to get it. Mm-hmm. So you know you got to be a little bit of a villain sometimes and go in and 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 you know stick up for what you believe and just say this isn't this isn't playing for me. But if I get better ideas, then I'll always go with a better idea, especially if it if it strikes me on some sort of primal level.
3: Yeah, I feel like all of your your episodes seem to come from the gut. Yeah, uh, and I mean, like, you, you kind of were using a cake analogy. Every one of your episodes, and I feel like what sets them apart from a lot of other episodes is there is a really meaty cake to it. Yeah. That's yeah. not a gross, a meaty cake. Meat cake. Meat cake. Meat uh, cake. I love your
1: meat cake episodes. That's, uh, that was like a term we would have used on Lost when I was writing on <laughs> Lost. I think we used... We we kept coming up with names for rock bands. I, meat coat was one of the ones <laughs> we used. Meat coat is great. Meat coat was good, but we would have used meat cake.
3: <laughs> okay, you know, let's go back in time and maybe meat throw sock meat cake was in another there.
1: one that was that actually got us into trouble. Oh, huh? that sounds a
3: little grosser. Meat sock, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, but I feel like your your episodes really do have a lot of meat to them, but also there's no you know there's an abundance of icing as well. I feel yeah. like there's like fun on top, but there really is like pathos to every character, especially the villains. Yeah, um, which. Maybe we segue
1: into Baby Doll here. Baby Doll. Baby Doll is like a, a great unsung, vi- well, I don't. know if She's great, but she's an unsung villain from uh, the animated series. She was a fun idea at the time when we came up with her, and um, she certainly, you know, gave a couple. Oh, the downside of slush is brain freeze.
3: Mm. <laughs> well, what I what I love about Baby Doll, and I guess. People are going to be like, "Why aren't you talking about Harley Quinn?" Uh, which you talked know. so much about Harley Quinn. I would, I would, would love Harley to talk Harley talk. Quinn. Well,
1: we'll talk about Harley some other time. Oh or, yeah, we'll, we'll you ha- anytime you want
3: to talk on this podcast, you are welcome. I'm well, you know, it would be there. great if I
1: could yank Arlene and Arlene Sorkin into talk Harley Quinn sometime. But that'd uh, be amazing. Well, I'll, I'll see what she's uh, what she feels about that. So, um, but yeah, I figured. I feel like Baby Doll is an
3: episode that isn't talked about as much, and uh-huh. I think it's a great episode.
1: Well, there were a couple of times <laughs> where. Bruce and I and Alan and, and everybody wanted to shake it up a little bit. And we thought, what about new villains? And I think that because we had sort of struck, uh, struck it out of the park with, uh, Harley, we, we said, well, let's add some more girls, you know, to the, to the mix. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so Bruce and I came up with a character called Roxy Rocket, which we put in the DC, one of the DC Batman annuals. One and of we, my
3: favorite designs too.
1: I love that design. <laughs> she's I love, so cool. Yeah, yeah. I want to bring her back sometime. I don't know how. I don't know when, but I'm, I would love to 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 bring her back at some point. But I just, I love her because she's sort of a bad girl, but she's also you could do you could do a lot with her, and she could be very much her own character. You know, somebody who's more of an antihero than an actual.
3: I would follow a Roxy Rocket. Series,
1: <laughs> like a like a, a an animated series or a book series, animated or, or book series. I feel like
3: she has a fun backstory. Like.
1: Yeah, she she's kind of a carefree character. She's a little got a little bit of the, uh, cat the spunkier aspects of Catwoman. Yeah, to her. and then she doesn't take anything seriously. She certainly is a sensual character because she doesn't hold anything back. Yeah. <laughs> that episode we did with her was pretty hot. Um But also, she just knows how to have a. She's kind of brassy and knows how to have a good time and. uh I I did introduce her into the Batman world in a couple of of issues of of uh, the mainstream Batman comic, and then they did pick her up for I think Birds of Prey or something. So mm-hmm. she does exist within that world. So it's just a matter of putting on her Roxy goggles and trying to come up with a with a Roxy story. But she was a uh, she was an example of one character, and then we came up with Baby Doll because we thought you know what if. Again, you know, a lot of times we're we're inspired by some of the more freakish aspects of what goes on in everyday life, and the idea of when you're a villain in Gotham City, you also kind of become this weird celebrity. And uh, there was an element of weird celebrities to somebody like Baby Doll, and that we make so much out of celebrities for a while, and then they're just then they're just gone, then they're just forgotten. Uh, the public's attention moves on, and. And uh, they're forgotten, and they just they just go away. I mean, the weirdest juxtaposition I can. Well, there are a couple of weird juxtapositions about baby doll, and we'll talk about them here, maybe. But I remember the day we recorded the episode, the first one was. I don't remember the exact date, but we were recording it at a place called Soundcastle over in um, Los Feliz, and it was the day of the O.J. Simpson run. Where he was in the car, and he in the white Bronco, and he was escaping with Al Cow- Cowlings driving the van, driving the the Bronco, and the whole media circus and people holding up signs, "Go OJ" and everything like that. If you remember that, <sighs> that's eight, crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's twenty years, twenty almost twenty five years ago. It's so weird to think it was that long, but I remember we were recording it, and and Baby Doll is this episode about weird, twisted celebrity, and I remember. Um, Allison LaPlaca, who did Baby's uh, Voice in that first episode, we were all watching it together on the news monitor. She goes, I don't know how I'm going to get home. I live over there. And it turns out, like, she lived not far from uh, Simpson's house at the time. And she was wondering, like, not only did I have to drive across town to to get to that part of L.A., but it looks like everything's blocked off. So, uh, um so she i'm sure she had a very interesting drive that night oh and, yeah <laughs> and then we're watching this then we're then we're doing this thing about twisted celebrities and forgotten celebrities and and the media circus and everything so it really was kind of life imitates art in a in, in a in a weird way well it's such a tragic
3: episode uh baby doll feels like a very tragic character to me
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's like uh you know, if you look at Batman's old history, like Clayface was like a forgotten mm-hmm. horror actor. And uh, I, 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 for a while, I think they had recreated Two-Face as a actor who had gotten disfigured or something like that. or uh, That might have been part of Clayface's origin, too. But it's just there is something tragic about, you know, the downside of being a celebrity and something everybody wants to see is when nobody wants to see you again. And she couldn't be anything other than what she is and because of her medical condition she would always look that way it wasn't like a girl who is uh, gets on a show when she's 12 and when she's 16 the show ends she can go to college and then become an actress or put it all behind her she's stuck this way and yeah. if nobody wants baby doll then nobody wants mary louise doll also so there was an element of tragedy to that and there was a I think that came through in her voice, you know, that sing you kind of babyish voice. I love the had. back
3: and forth between her real, especially Alison LaPlaca's delivery was great. There she was. Oh, it's wonderful. Her real voice was also so I mean, the end of that episode is heartbreaking. Yeah. Every
1: uh, time it gets me every time. Oh, that the in the Hall of Mirrors when oh. she's looking for her real self and everything, it's like, oh, it, it, it's heartbreaking, but I always maintain that the best Batman villains are the ones who kind of have this little window that they can kind of see their more human side through and, and they kind of grieve when they see it.
3: Well, you know? yeah, it ends with her kind of gripping him and hugging him after she shoots the image of herself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the second one ends, you know, similar, like why can't, you know, when she betrays crock and it's like, why can't it be like it is on TV? You yeah, know? It's like why there's no happy, uh, fade out, you know, for her. And it's like, you know, a real tragic character. I'm, I, I'm kind of sorry we only used her those two times. Uh, I didn't want to go to the well too often on her, but I think that, you know, her two appearances are, 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 are really good. Um, I, I, I would be interested in someday possibly making her part of Batman's rogues gallery, or maybe that's, uh, for somebody else for the, uh, for the comics or, or something. Yeah, like she
3: that. has not appeared in the mainstream comics. So I, think I don't. One
1: of the. Think so. I don't, I may have lost. I I lost track here. She might have been in a, in a issue of Gotham Adventures or something. Mm. Or somebody might have used her somewhere. Please, if somebody's listening, no, if Somebody who is listening knows. Let us know because uh, I'd sort of like to check it out. But I, I I don't remember seeing one. But that's not to say that there wasn't one. So I can't I can't say for sure because. You know, there's so many books published every month and there's so many good (laughs) writers out there and Everybody pulls from everybody somebody else. Somebody use her. She's a great character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and she is fun. And I like the idea of somebody who can just sort of pass as a little kid and
3: Yeah, well I love that she rides that she toes the line between kind of like there's an undercurrent of creepy, but like right. that she does play into it. So you kind of get this like Looney Tune style or like bigger kind of right. cartoony ish acting uh-huh. in, in the in the actual episode itself. Like she kind of looks like Elmira a little
2: bit.
1: In the first one she does. Yeah, and, and, they redesigned her. And then the redesign she looks a little more like a little more little girlish i guess it's kind of shirley temple-y yeah 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 absolutely and uh it's uh you know i just thought she's just a a very uh interesting character and there are so many you know everybody has a weird show business story they can ascribe to 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 their lives out here in hollywood you know there's so many uh um, bizarre instances where somebody just comes that close to being a big star or they were there and then they're not or 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 something it's um uh it, it's a sort of an odd fit for batman's world because mostly they start off as criminals and and this is somebody who is uh who sort of became a criminal through her ego and through you know her unhappiness um,
3: well i didn't realize it i just rewatched it uh, again and it was i don't know if this was the intent but i i she when she kidnaps everybody and she you know brings them to the old sitcom set. Yeah. she's about to light the stick. She lights the stick of dynamite. Like, is she intending to blow herself up? Like, she wants to die with this sitcom family.
1: Probably, yeah. I mean, which that is was, pretty damn dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, life was never better than when she was on that show. Yeah, and uh, and it, and it's that way for you know a lot of people. the weird thing is when you do a show, it can be an animated show or a live action show. A lot of times, the shows that people really remember are just they're, they 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 happen really quick, and then they're done before you know it. You get a year or maybe two years, and then for whatever reason, the show goes into syndication, or it it speaks to kids in such a way that it is rerun and becomes part of someone's childhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like for three years, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy were on Star Trek, and it was probably you know oh, I got to go and you know do the space show today. I don't think they ever really knew that it was going to haunt their whole lives and determine the the course of their destiny for right. It was afterwards. a job at first, <laughs> yeah, you know it's like well, I'm doing Star Trek today, and then next week i'm guest starring on uh Bonanza, and uh you know it's like going from job to job and then and then suddenly you've started something that you're you can't escape. Your past catches up with you and determines your your future. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a cartoon show I wrote 20 years ago. So,
3: <laughs> well, how did you generate the character? Like, where did the idea come from, and what was kind of the origin and building of
1: well, Baby Doll? Well, we thought about a lot about various child stars. I mean, there's Gary Coleman, mm-hmm. of course, and then there's um, um, boy, I'm blanking on his name. There was the other uh, small kid who was uh, Emmanuel Lewis, mm-hmm. and. Then, uh, Webster. yes. And, uh, it, it's interesting. I had a, I had a friend who worked on both those shows as a, as a writer. And so he saw, you know, performers like that a lot. And, and also he knew some of the, the, the stories connected with some of the other child stars from those shows that didn't really wind up so well, uh, for yeah. them. And, we were going back and forth and we thought, well, it would be fun to do a show about a, somebody who just can't grow up and who always looks like a baby. And, you know, we didn't really want to do the Gary Coleman show uh, or the Gary Coleman story directly. So we thought, well, let's do a little girl and and uh, you know, give her this this weird affliction and everything. And in coming up with uh, the way she talked, this is kind of another weird side street into tragedy in a tragedy in, in a bizarre way. I've never really told this story before, but I, um, I, uh, I, in coming up with a way for her, for a baby to talk, I thought it would be fun if she talked in sort of a babyish way. And I had a friend who was an actress who, when she was goofing around would talk in kind of a babyish way. She always added an "s" at the end of everything, like <laughs> "When are we going to eat dinners? When are we going to do this and that so, 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 something like that It was actually kind of drove me mad you know and uh she was a friend, and then for a brief while while she was out of work, she worked for me as an assistant mm-hmm. and she was actually a very very good assistant and um and, uh, she, and it was in the wild when I was writing and everything. And so she would have this babyish way of talking. So I used that so for, uh, for baby dolls way of talking. And, um, and then I, I later told her about it and then she goes, why didn't you get me to do her voices? I would have done her voices. I would have done it really well. So it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't think about it. You know, <laughs> just, we had Allison, we had with somebody else you know and then then Lorraine Newman came in into the voice but what was really weird about that was uh the my friend's name was uh, Lana Clarkson mm-hmm. and she was an actress and she was the young woman who was killed by Phil Spector years later and yeah. she was a struggling actress for years and she done parts here and there on TV and in movies and everything and uh so it was really a a suck to the gut when I when I real when I when I heard that she was dead and it was it was a very odd week because The night before, uh, because I heard that somebody had been killed at Phil Spector's house. That night I was out to dinner with Bill Mooney and Peter David, and we were in a diner, and I couldn't stop talking about it. I was going like, it's so weird that somebody got, you know, murdered over there, and I couldn't let it go. So I sort of, I, I, I had a feeling I knew who it was, but I didn't know who. The next day I went in, and my assistant told me that she was so sorry that she had heard about her because, um... You know, the, you know, she had come to the office before people knew her when she was, uh, you know, my assistant and everything. And it was just, you know, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And so I always, whenever I think of baby doll, I always think of the way that Lana talked and the way I kind of used that. And she inspired that. And, and was such a, you know, tragedy and everything about baby is sort of connected <laughs> yeah, with tragedy seriously, or sadness or I'm Hollywood so or shattered dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the the second one, Love is a crock, was written by Steve Gerber, who was a tremendous writer. He wrote
3: some great episodes for the series. He's think-
1: wonderful. Farmer Brown was his. I love Critters. Oh, Critters is great. I mean- Unsung- episode <laughs> i just i just think he's great i think the model is really good you know he looks like this old looks like a cross between an old nasty farmer and a preacher and everything and with a he's
3: got that american gothic he kind of yeah
1: <laughs> and uh the weird super steroid daughter and uh everything you know it's just praying giant praying mantises praying in mantises silo ship that's <laughs> pterodactyl chickens that get drowned in barbecue sauce uh. i mean it's just wonderful Gerber came in. He goes, I have this idea. It's a weirdest idea, but you got to stay with me. Batman fights Farmer Brown. <laughs> like Farmer Brown, like the farmer in the Dell. Like, you know, yeah, Farmer Brown, old Farmer Brown. He fights a farmer. It's like, yeah. Okay, great. So <laughs> That's he was, awesome. He was great. Gerber would come in. We rarely would see him. He usually worked at home and uh, he would come in uh, every once in a while for, for staff meetings when we'd have uh, writers meetings and he'd always bring the weirdest ideas and he was great and he would figure these things out and bring in this bizarre element. And as a kid who grew up reading, you know, man thing and Howard the duck Mm -hmm. and (coughs) excuse me, Nova and all the great things that he, that he wrote, um, in comics, it was sort of a dream come true to work with him and, uh, and, and everything. He was a total iconoclast. I remember when, um, when we were up for the, uh, the Emmys one year, I called him up Steve, you, you know, shall we pick you up? You come into the Emmys? No, I'm not going. I'm late on a deadline. It's like, yeah, but you're up for it. You know, and then we won. And so it's like, oh, I'll pick up Steve's award too. And <laughs> drop it by his house. And and I thought I thought he didn't care. But he, he really you – know, actually, he cared more about the deadline than he did about the award. But he was very happy to, to get the award and uh, very well deserved. And, yeah, his episodes everything. are great. Yeah, yeah. Really, really terrific guy. And uh, I would have loved to have done a lot more um, with him and his talents. It's just – uh, too soon.
3: Well, thank you so much. I think we're out of time. Out of now, time. But, All right. Okay. But uh, you got to come back. Yeah. <laughs> Will yeah. you? I have so. I I could talk to you for hours and just listen to you talk about anything. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I do. Fat man on Batman. It's sort of like time goes out the window. Yeah. I just like you know. It's just. Is is this 2014 still? Uh, No, actually, I think it's 2021 right now. Oh, okay, all right.
3: Yeah, there are hover ships outside. Your hover ship is waiting. Oh, Uh, good, good, good. Your Robo Butler will be driving it. Well, this
1: was loads of fun, and I just hope I, you know, had something of of value to say. Oh,
3: you had—it was amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing it. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. It was a pleasure and an honor to sit across and talk Batman with you. Thank you. Thank you. All righty, that's it. Bye. (laughs) All right, that's the show, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk to Paul as much as I enjoyed talking to Paul. Hope to have him on the show again in the future for another episode, he wrote. Uh, stay tuned for a preview of next episode.
2: Hey, whoa, no, 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 no. You can't end the show yet. What about me, my Krufina? What about you? I went through all this setup for nothing. What
3: about... Cast? I still don't even know what that is.
2: Oh, my God. Goodness, do I have to spell everything out for you? It's like a quest wrapped in a podcast, wrapped in a multi-part story arc that will span several episodes of your show. It's a...
3: cast. A quest wrapped in a podcast, wrapped in a multi-part story arc that will span several episodes of okay, this show. Okay, 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 what, what do you need help with? I'm dying. Um, how exactly does a microphone die?
2: Oh, yeah, don't act like you care. But, buddy, if I die this podcast dies and so does before you are funny
3: I can't lose both of my podcasts, Before You Were Funny, Plug, and Batman the Animated Podcast. How do I keep you alive?
2: I need the golden XLR cable.
3: So where do I find that? It
2: will heal my microphone wounds.
3: Great, where where do I... It's the
2: only thing that can save my microphone life. Got it!
3: Where do I find the golden XLR?
2: You must travel to the ghost witch's house. She will help you from there.
3: Why are you talking like that?
2: It's the way all microphones talk in grave situations. You would know if you listened to us more.
3: Yeah, that seems unnecessary. I don't
2: know if I'm buying it. I'm I'm still here. I just wanted it to sound like I fell off a cliff.
3: (sighs) Well, guys, I don't know what's in store for me next time, but it seems like I'm officially on a... Oh, yeah, podcast cast. Okay, wrap-up time. Uh, If this is your first time listening, welcome to the Insanity. Please rate the show and subscribe and leave a comment in iTunes. It helps, and uh, spread the word. Get the word out. I'd love for people who love the show to listen to it. So do that, please. Follow the show on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and myself at K hey Justin. You can email me at BTAS at gmail.com and find more at www.btaspodcast.com. Sense a theme. Please consider donating to the show if you're a regular listener. Any amount is helpful since I do this all by myself and it covers the monthly web hosting fees, sound engineer fees, and everything in between.
0: Next time on Batman the Animated
3: Podcast, I'll be sitting down with Batman composer and the man who created the Batman Beyond theme song, Christopher Carter, to talk about the Catwoman and Scarface team up, Catwalk.
0: I mean, obviously, I had a lot of experience on the podium with the student orchestra, mm-hmm. but I think that, that coming out and stepping in front of a studio orchestra, these phenomenal, you know, world-class musicians, and I actually had quite long hair at the time, and it was back in a ponytail, and I could <laughs> see, on, written on every musician's forehead was, oh, get this young guy off
3: the podium. <laughs> Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and Kirby Howell Baptiste guest starred as Microfina, the magical talking microphone. Today's episode also featured Marissa Strickland as part of the commercial. A huge thanks to all my guests, Mark Rennie and Paul Dini, as well as Pat Jansen for sound engineering, and Todd McClintock and Laura Allen over at Stupid Buddy Studios for providing the booth. Lastly, I just want to chastise uh, This American Life producer Tori Malatia, who did spill guacamole all over my cat, and all he could say was,
0: I didn't mean to.
3: Come on, Tori, you could have at least cleaned him up. Uh, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks for another episode of BTAP and the next thrilling installment of... PodQuestCast!